0: Oh, there's, there's my people. God's people. Moses said my people, so I thought I could chance it. So um, yeah, so I've been uh, going down to Mexico for about almost 20 years now. There's about 100 churches down there that I serve in apostolic capacity, and there's the 50-year anniversary. Uh, of one of the main church down there, the president of the organization. So I'm going down there in just a couple of weeks to preach a convention down there. And uh, God uh, just moves in such radical ways every time I go down there. And, um, you know, I don't like leaving the comfort of my bed, my home, my refrigerator, and my church. Uh, But every time I go down there, God just like amps up His grace. And it's just amazing. Do you find the same thing, Mark, when you... Go down and you preach to the revivals, and God just moves so powerfully when you sacrifice and serve and get out of your comfort zone. So, um, so pray for me the last weekend of this month, uh, and I really appreciate it. Today, I want to. My goal today in this message I'm going to preach to you right now is to demolish unbelief and to cause your faith to rise. Because everything you and I receive from heaven comes through the exchange of faith and heavenly resources. Jesus said so often, according to your faith... Be it under you. So, I like to attack doubt, attack unbelief, attack fear, so your faith can rise. How many of you want your faith to rise today? Right? Just a little bit. Amen? Have you ever seen those buildings that get demolished? That's just remarkable. Have you ever seen how they put the dynamite down below it to see forward? Boom! And those buildings just come crashing down. That's what I would see happen to unbelief today in this house. So, the Bible says that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. So I'm going to preach the straight Word of God to you today. This is God foods for your spirit, your soul, your mind. It is what engenders and and creates faith in your spirit. That's why you got to eat, read, breathe, think, smell, taste the Word of God every day. I mean, it's your God food. Just like you work out, you do nutritional things, you add supplements when you go to Jamba Juice, you know, throw in some of those extra supplements. This right here is your spirit food. This is where faith comes from. This is the living Word of God. Do you know that when Satan attacked Jesus, Jesus could have turned him into a toad if he wanted to, but he didn't. you know what he did? Do you know what Jesus did? How he defeated Satan? He quoted the Word of God at him. He quoted Scriptures that Moses wrote a couple thousand years earlier. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Okay. Look, I've already preached myself happy. I'm trying to preach you happy this morning, so work with me here. So today, we're going to look at a chunk of Scripture that is like one of the most... It is like the bedrock Scripture that your faith is going to grab a hold of and sink your teeth into whenever you hit a challenge in any area of your life. We're going to look at a word today called atonement. It's a big theological word. It simply means satisfied. The word atonement, say out loud, means satisfied. It's a, it's a, it's a legal term. It means to satisfy the court. So did the defense satisfy the court by raising enough reasonable doubt? Did the prosecutor satisfy the court with the proof, the burden of proof that the person is guilty? Well, here's the truth about what Jesus Christ did for the human race. The law and justice of God Was satisfied. The law and justice of God was satisfied by the infinite worth of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. The courts of heaven were satisfied with the sacrifice of Christ on that cross for you. For you. In my Bible, we're going to read a passage today, it says, whom, in the Lord, whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? I put down, in my Bible, I wrote, me. Who has, believed, who has believed our report? I put it in my Bible, I have. You have got to own every promise in the Bible for you. Otherwise, what, why is it there? People before us have gone to heaven that believed. People are going to come after us. There are going to be some that believe and some don't. But right now it's our turn. The baton is in our hand. The Word of God is in our hearts. You've got to own it. God so loved John that He sent His only Son. Say your name. God so loved... Say it again. God so loved... That He sent His own Son. You've got to absorb every promise of God for yourself. For it to be activated in your life. Jesus lifted the curse from every area of our lives. When Adam and Eve fell from fellowship with God in the Garden of Eden, a curse entered the human race. Sin, sickness, sorrow, disease, disaster and destruction and and anger and murder and jealousy and selfishness all the sin entered the human race when Christ died on that cross he absorbed all that curse in himself and died the bible very clearly says that jesus has carried the curse for spirit soul and body look at this scripture in galatians 3:13 and 14 it says christ Has redeemed or rescued us from the curse of the law. Having become a curse for us. It is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of Spirit. Say it out loud. Say it out loud? Through Through faith. All of that is through faith. Now don't get nervous about faith. Don't get, oh my gosh, I need to have enough faith. Just let me preach at you you'll get some. That's how when people say, well, you know, I need more faith or I didn't have enough faith or just go get some. Get into prayer fast. Get into the word of God and faith comes. And then you remove mountains. Romans 5, 17. Look at this. For if by one man's offense, death reigned through the one. That's that's Adam, a real man, a singular man, not a people group. Adam himself, a relationship with God, through his sin and offense, death reigned through him to the entire human race. Much more. Everybody say, much more. more. Oh, isn't that great? It's not like God and Satan are equal. It's not like sin and grace are equal. Much more. Much more. Those who, say it out loud, receive. See that? There's a category of people who experience heaven on earth. Those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Isn't that a powerful verse? There are big roadblocks to experiencing what Jesus has paid for us though. I mean, all this is true. All this is real. Positionally, legally, it has been satisfied for us. But there are real roadblocks to receiving. I remember one time, the Lord spoke to me, and He said to me, Your harvest has come, but your unbelief is going to abort the harvest. It was shocking. So I got into the Bible, and I started memorizing and meditating scriptures, on faith you know they that come to god must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of god it is god's good pleasure to prosper his servants you know according to your faith be it unto you i kept reading all these scriptures on faith so faith was rising and rising and rising it was like getting corrosion off the cables you ever had a battery cable that's all corroded And then you pour that wonderful sweet drink that everybody drinks and and rots their bones with. Right? I mean, you know, think about it. If you pour a drink on battery cables and the corrosion melts away, just think about what it's doing inside your body. Anyway, that's a side note. When you and I get into the word God, it creates faith that literally erodes away unbelief. And I did that, and all of a sudden, man, my, my, my antenna was way up. My cables were clean. I was received from the Lord. And that year, I had a ministry promotion, bought my first home, and got married. It was an amazing year. But the Lord said, your harvest has come from your prayers, your faithfulness, your serving, your sacrifice, your seed sowing, but your unbelief is going to abort your harvest. So I went and got some faith. So, here's what I want to say. Here's three things that really attack our faith. Our emotions, our experiences, and the enemy. Our emotions. I don't feel like God loves me. I don't feel forgiven. You feel the emotions of guilt and shame and and, and abandonment and rejection. Those are emotions on the inside. And they really attack uh, your faith. Uh, our experiences. Unanswered prayer. Uh, negative things that have happened. People you prayed for that died. Loved ones. Hardships. Getting laid off. I mean... These experiences we have really try to refute God's word in our life. And then, of course, we have the enemy, Satan himself, who spends day and night trying to come and remove the seeds of faith from your life. This is why you and I must make this courageous declaration every day of our lives. I want you to see the way I like to say this. Will you say this out loud with me? I will let the Bible, not my emotions, my experiences, or the enemy, determine my faith. We you say out loud with me again? I will let the Bible, not my emotions, my experiences, or the enemy, determine my faith. Here's another way of looking at it. I will not interpret the Bible through the lens of my experience, but rather I will interpret my experiences through the lens of the Bible. This is critical. I just had a conversation with a theologian a couple of weeks ago. And he had written a book that uh, really pretty much dismantled every supernatural passage in the Bible. It was allegorical. It's, it's, it's mythological. It was just a metaphor. It wasn't real. Like Elijah calling fire down from heaven. Like Peter getting uh, you know, set free from prison in the book of Acts by an angel. You know, there were like four or five like key, fundamental, supernatural encounters of God in the early church's life. And all the way back with Moses and Abraham. And every time we, we ran into a supernatural encounter in the Bible, he told me that was allegorical. It was mythical. Well, you see, he had tragedy happen in his life. And out of his pain and his confusion of unanswered prayer came a theology where he is now interpreting the Bible through his pain and his experiences and his emotions rather than letting his experiences be interpreted by the Bible. That's how you get into heresy and that's how unbelief just grows and grows and grows and grows. This is the way I like to say it. I'm really simple, so I like to say things real simply. This is the way I say it. The Bible says it. I believe it. That settles it. What do you think? Say it with me. The Bible says it. I believe it. That settles it. Stay with me again. The Bible says it. I believe it. That settles it. Now that's the way you go toe-to-toe with the enemy. He'll throw emotions, negative experiences, attacks, you know, persecution, affliction, all sorts of stuff. So it doesn't matter what my experiences say. It doesn't matter how I feel on the inside. Nothing matters. It doesn't, your own belief doesn't bother me. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about you. Plural people that don't believe you guys are full of faith. I would never say something like that about you. You know, down the street, they got a church full of unbelievers. Those guys over there, their unbelief doesn't move me. I get into conversations with people and I say, the Bible says this. They say, yeah, but my uncle, I prayed for him and he died. Yeah, but, and they tell me the stories about how the Bible's not true because of my experience. And I say, your experience, I don't know your story. It could have been sin in your life unrepentant sin. It could have been unbelief. It could have been the attack of the devil. Or am I just, I don't know what it is. We don't know why certain things don't happen the way we want them to or the way the Bible says they should. I don't know. But I'm not going to change the word of God based on our experience. That's deadly to your spiritual growth and your faith. Can I hear an amen? amen? Oh, I needed that amen or else I was going to preach it all over again. So we'll just move forward now. Isaiah 53, 5. Isaiah 53, 1 through 5. This is the mother load right here. We're going to hit Isaiah 53. Turn your Bibles there and your phones, or it's up here on the PowerPoint. Isaiah 53, 1 through 5. This is 700 years before Jesus was crucified. And this is before the crucifixion was even invented as a form of torture and death. The Romans invented it. Isaiah the prophet sees the Messiah, the Savior of the world, being crucified 700 years before the crucifixion was even invented. And he says this by the Holy Spirit in Isaiah 53, verse 1 through 5. You need to camp on this passage. Memorize this passage. This is the theology. This is the cornerstone of theology for Christians. Who has believed our report? Isaiah 53, 1. That's where I wrote, I have. To whom has the armor of the Lord been revealed? To me. It's right here. For he, Jesus shall grow before him God as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground, meaning an obscurity. He has no former comeliness, meaning he's not a handsome person. That when we see, by the way, he's not British. with blonde hair and blue eyes. I don't understand why they would make a Jew talk like a Brit and, and be a pretty boy. It's just really weird, very ethnocentric. I like, I like the passion of the Christ because, because he, he, uh, he got the, the, the ethnic indigenous people of that area. And that made it so real and authentic. But Jesus was not handsome. He was just average. He, he would not have an impressive Instagram profile. That wasn't his purpose. There's no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from Him. We despised and we did not esteem Him. He was despised. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. But we esteemed Him stricken, smitten, my God, and afflicted. In other words, they thought He was dying for His own sins. For His own Criminal acts. That God was judging Jesus for Jesus' sins and failures. But what's the truth? But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon Him. And by His stripes, we are healed. In verse 4, it says, For He surely He has borne our griefs. That word there literally means sicknesses and carried, or bore, our sorrows. The Bible very clearly here, and I'm going to prove it scripturally, says He bore our sins, our sorrows, and our sicknesses. Our spirit, our soul, and our body. He bore it all. He paid for it all. He satisfied the courts for all of the curse. Let me ask you a question. Would they do demolition on just half a building? Would somebody just, their goal to satisfy the court partially? Of course not. Then why would Jesus only die for our sins, but not for our emotions or for our body? Or for our relational reconciliation? Or for our financial stewardship and prosperity? Or for the earth itself? Jesus bore the curse for everything that happened at the fall between Adam and God. Get out of here, amen! Amen! That's the truth. Now we're fighting for the reality of that in our lives. But if you don't draw a line in the sand, drive a spiritual stake in the ground and say, look, no matter how I feel, no matter what it looks like, no matter what my experience, no matter what Satan says, no matter what you say, I believe what the Word of God says. I believe Jesus bore the entire curse for me and my life and my family, my church, our city, the world. Once you draw that line and drive that stake, now you have solid theological ground to stand on. And having done all to stand, stand therefore resisting the enemy. This word bore, to bear your sins, your sorrows, and your sicknesses, literally means to carry away. This is what it looks like. Jesus, come here. This here. This was Jesus on the cross. These are your sins. These are your sorrows. Bam. And these are your sicknesses. And you are carrying them away. Everybody say carry them away. Go. That is that is exactly what Jesus did for your sins, your sorrows, And your sicknesses. That's the truth. I want us to look at these clearly from Scripture. Number one, our sin. Say this out loud. Jesus died for my sins. Sin is a spiritual matter. This is the spiritual part. Spiritual soul body. Jesus died for our sins because our sins is what separates us from God. That's the spiritual relationship between us and God. Jesus took care of that. Look what the Bible says, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Christ had no sin. But God made Him become sin. God made Him become sin. It wasn't like He just wrote a check. Sin, you're my sin, poured into Christ's body on that cross. That's one of the reasons he was so resistant to go to the cross. God, is there any other way? It wasn't just a separation. It was an experience with the relationship with his father. It was tasting sin in his own soul for the first time in all of eternity. You're in my sin. Now, forgive me if you're a raised Catholic or if you're Catholic watching this online. That's why I got so mad at the Catholic church. Because I was raised Catholic. And then what we were taught was you've got to jump through all these hoops. You've got to light these candles. You've got to rub these beads. You've got to pay money to have your sins forgiven. What an abomination to what Jesus did for us on the cross. Using the free gift of salvation to prosper from and control people with. Are you kidding me? Whoa! wow. That's why Martin Luther, man, when he figured that out as he was whipping himself, right? Doing penance and trying to get this guilt and shame off him. Once he saw from the scriptures that salvation is a free gift. That's why he went up to the door, man, of the church and bam, bam, bam. Now 90, how many? 95 points. Here's what the Bible says. Here's what you guys say. You're wrong. The Bible's right. And they try to kill him for it. Protestant rever... uh, rever Reformation. Thank you. God will use anybody. As you can see, this should make everybody feel good about themselves watching me try to preach. We just led a Catholic to Christ yesterday. We had evangelism training. Uh, some, of, some of you came, it was just powerful. After we taught for a while, for like three hours, I didn't tell you guys that when you come to this evangelism training, we're actually going to go out on the street and do it. And when Stephanie stood up and said, okay, now the next thing we're going to do is we're going to go out and do what we've learned. And I mean, you should have seen the looks on everybody's faces. It was so funny, man. They were like, I mean, that's all the blood drained out of their faces. And then they looked at me and Stephanie said, "Don't be mad. But everybody was. I'll tell you, though, when we got back, it was, it was awesome. Trisha was there. Trisha was like white-knuckling it on the way there. You know, she was in the van. She was like grabbing the dashboard, not wanting to get out of the van. Afterwards, we're driving back. She goes, this is my new hobby. She said, whenever Peter and I, her husband, are driving by an apartment complex, I'm going to say, Peter, turn in. Poor Peter. <laughs> he didn't go through the training. So we're just knocking on doors we're just saying, uh, it was right down here, this apartment complex. We said, hey, we're from the gathering place right down the street. We're just here to pray for, for people. Is there anything we can pray for you about? And uh, Hermie, this Filipino guy, invites us in. And we pray for him. He's got crucifixes everywhere. He's like, oh my gosh. He's Catholic from the Philippines. And a person I was raised Catholic, so I understand that most Catholics have never heard uh, salvation and free in the same sentence. So it was, I find it very easy to lead Catholics to Jesus. Because when they find out it's a free gift, who doesn't want a free gift, especially salvation? He was so tender. He was a man of peace, a house of peace. And I think we're probably going to plant a church right out of his home. His his wife and his two children, uh, 19-year-old and 12-year-old, they went off to the movies so he would pack the apartment because they have to move. And um, as we were praying for him, he said, this is why my family wasn't here and I stayed behind to pack the apartment. He recognized The God moment in his life. But it was the free gift that got him. So you might say, well, what about when you sin after you become a Christian? Hey, look, you don't need a priest. Sorry, I'm not. You don't need a priest. You don't need me. You don't need anybody. When you have sinned and you feel the guilt and the shame of sin, you don't need anybody because you have a high priest now and his name is Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. And all you have to do is what 1 John 1, 9 says. What's 1 John 1, 9 say, Chris? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, everybody say, confess your sins. And he didn't say go, go to a building and go into a booth and confess them to somebody. He, we're talking about going straight to God. Right, No matter where you are, you're in your booth, man. You're in your car. You're in your booth. You're the temple of God now. If Christ lives inside of you, the Bible says now you're the church. You're the temple of God. Christ lives right inside of your soul. You confess your sins to Him. Look what it says. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So let's say you get saved on Monday. And you know, Christ died for your sins. But then on Tuesday, you sin. What do you do? You just confess. Come here, Jesus. I wouldn't say that to him like that. I would say, dear Lord, man, I sinned. Call it what it is, okay? Name the sin. Just say, it. it won't surprise God when it comes out of your mouth. That's not when He finds out about it. It's cleansing your soul. I confess my sin. Boom. Right? Or... My sorrows, Lord, I need your help. Boom. He carried your sorrows, He'll carry your daily sorrows. And your sickness and disease, Lord, carry my sickness and disease today. All right, and every day Jesus will bear your sins, your sorrows, and your sicknesses. Go ahead. Woo! It began at the cross and it continues every day until you see Him face to face. Sending after to become a child of God. Look at this. Affects your intimacy with God, but not your identity in God. My children drive me crazy. Sometimes. Sometimes they're knuckleheads. Sometimes they break my heart. You know? But, they stop being my kids? Never. There might be distance emotionally. There might be some friction and tension. There might be some misunderstandings. And me with them too. Sometimes I overreact. Well, maybe once. I think like in the last... Maybe in one time in 19 years I've overreacted or yelled or misjudged the situation, punished the wrong kid. (laughs) That's not funny. (laughs) But they're my kids, and they'll always be my kids. And so you come together and say, I am sorry. And they say, I'm sorry too. And all of a sudden your intimacy is repaired. But it has nothing to do with your identity as a son or daughter. Jesus' sacrifice removed the penalty, the power, and the shame of sin. The word atonement also means this, at one meant or at one-with. One with God and one with others. When you realize that Jesus has paid the price for your sins, the guilt of the sin, the penalty of the sin, gives you power over the sin and the shame of the sin. That's a life changer right there. Many of us don't realize that Jesus not only bore this sin, the penalty of sin, the judgment of sin, He also bore the emotional shame of the sin. See, many of you confess your sin to God, but then you walk away still having that residual shame on the inside of you and it it morphs your personality and you just feel like you're always trying to work it off whether you realize it or not. It's religion. You're trying to earn it. You're trying to work off that shame, you know, by doing good and you feel better about yourself. No. What Jesus did on the cross was for your sin and your guilt and your shame. He bore our shame too. That's why it annoys people that I've sinned against or trespassed against. And I don't like, when I see them, I don't like relate to them in guilt and shame. I don't do the tuck head, you know, look at the tips of my tennis shoes. I ask them to forgive me. I receive forgiveness. They may or may not forgive me. I ask God forgiveness. And not only do I receive the forgiveness, I also reject any shame related to it. Because Jesus bore our shame. But it does not remove what's called restitution. Restitution is, you know, there is remorse. You can't walk away without. Without your conscience being aware of how you harmed somebody, and you may need to make restitution, repair that relationship. Um, but that's another sermon. Number two the first one is sickness, I mean, sins. That one I just preached, most of you can grab a hold of pretty quickly. This second one is where it's a real battle zone sickness. So I want to start by simply showing you from the Scriptures the same passage of Scripture, the same chunk that we just looked at. I want to look at it again, and I want you to see how sickness is included in the atonement, the satisfaction, the sacrifice on the cross, just as every bit as sin was. So that when you're suffering and fighting against sickness... You have a theological base to fight from. In verse 3, it says, He is despised and rejected by men. A man of pains. That word pains literally is translated sicknesses. As is the word grief there. In verse 4, Surely he is born my, again, griefs as sicknesses, and carried our pains. Some have tried to make, and then verse 5 it says, By his stripes are the blows that cut in, we are healed. If you look at this uh, verse 5 here, you'll see how all three categories are here. He was wounded. For our transgressions and bruise for our iniquities. That's your spiritual. That's the sin. That's the spiritual wickedness part. The chastisement for our peace, which is our soul and our emotions was upon Him. And by His stripes and the blows that cut in, we are healed. And that is related to physical healing. Do you see that right there? Spirit, soul, body. Why would Jesus die for your spirit and your soul, but not your body? He satisfied the courts of heaven and lifted the curse from our lives. That's the position you fight from. Now, I want you to see this. Uh, well, I want, okay, I want to stay it for a second. We would all say an amen to how Jesus bore our sins. Because in verse 11 and 12, we won't go there, but in the same chapter, it says that Jesus bore the sin of many. Literally, the picture you just saw of Eric bearing those sandbags of sin off the stage. You see that right there in the Scriptures. For he bore the sin of of many, verse 11 and 12. That exact same word, now follow me theologically here, that exact same word, he bore the sin of many, we find it right here in verse 4. He bore my sicknesses and carried my pains. So I want to say if he carried them, we, we don't have to. Now I want to show you in the book of Matthew that he very clearly spells this out so there's no controversy. Let's go to the book of Matthew. And in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus is now in the earth 700 years later. And it says in verse 16, he's in the earth and he's bringing the kingdom. When evening had come, They brought to Jesus many who were demon possessed and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed a few. Is that what it says? How many did he heal? He healed them all. You see that all through his ministry. He never one time said no to someone who came to them asking him for healing. Now, again, I know our experiences aren't at that level. And this isn't to bring guilt or shame or spiritual insecurity or anything like that to any of us in this house. None of us are batting a thousand. But we must start from theological truth if we are going to have a chance at running sickness and disease out of our lives. Amen. Amen), Amen. <laughs> He cast out the spirits of the Word and healed all who were sick. And watch this, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet. Now he's going to quote the verse that we were reading in Isaiah 53 from 700 years earlier. Matthew now is going to quote that very scripture. But listen to how he quotes it. Look at this. He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Isn't that amazing? He says it right there. Very clearly, Jesus bore our sins and our sicknesses on the cross. And one of the things we've been doing here at the Gathering Place Church is fasting and praying. Because one time the disciples could not cast out a spirit or get a a man's son healed. Jesus comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration... And he sees this crowd of people and he sees the disciples and he says, what's going on here? And the the man said, your your disciples couldn't heal my son. I've been there. You've been there. We've all been there. We hate it. We hate it when we know that healing's available, but we just can't seem to get it across to the sick person. That's such frustration. But don't give up. That's us contending for the kingdom. The church is the only hope a sick and lost and dying world has. And so Jesus said, bring the boy here to me, cast the devil out of the boy. The boy was completely healed. And then the disciples said, why couldn't we do that? And he said, because of your unbelief. Then he taught them how to get rid of unbelief and increase in their faith, which is through fasting and prayer. That's why now we have a fasting chain going through our church. And I'm asking you, please become a part of the fasting chain. It'll be good for you. It'll be good for our spiritual community. It'll be good for those that you pray for. In your life. You go on our website, go to the prayer page, and there's a little link there for you to sign up. It's just a calendar. And put your name on one of the days. And I see your name on there, and I pray for you. God, sustain them on their fast today. You can miss a meal, two meals, a whole day, whatever you want to do. But as you're fasting, what I've been seeing, the leadership has been seeing an increase in our spiritual community of freedom from sin, sickness, disease, sorrows, pains. I just got a testimony just the other day. Thursday night band practice. I want to ask Lance to come up for a second. Lance, will you come on up here? And, and uh, I was uh, at band practice with Lance, and Lance said, uh, I have something to share with you guys. Let's welcome Lance Guqua. And this little, is little kernels popping all throughout our, our church, and this is a little kernel that popped. What happened, Lance?
1: About six weeks ago, seven weeks ago, um, Sunday morning, uh, I had back problems, and my back was so bad, uh, I could barely stand. I, I, love the past tense. I
0: love the past tense verb you're using, by the way. I had back problems. Love it. Uh,
1: and, and it was it's a situation that it's the type of thing when you sit down, it's almost impossible to get up, and usually I end up going to the doctor to get some pain medicine and some muscle relaxer uh, to, to help me uh, until it, it, it goes away, which takes about usually a week Well, this sunday, uh, I, I was so bad i couldn 't go to church. Uh, Carol, my wife, said you know, gave me a, a prayer before she left and said we 'll pray for you in church as well so and, and I, I knew they were going to do it uh, and so i 'm sitting in a chair you know just it 's one of those things where you, know, you want to stay still and you don 't want to move uh, and and uh, about eleven thirty in the morning. All of a sudden, I feel something. It wasn't real strong, but something, something a little different. And I sat up in the chair. Not a single bit of back problem. <laughs> and on top of that, uh, on top of that, my back hasn't bothered me since then.
0: So, and you? Okay, now you asked Carol. Something. Oh yeah,
1: when when I, when when she came home. I said, did you pray for me about 1130? Uh, and, and she said, yeah, I was down here in front praying, and, uh, and uh, we, we prayed for you. And so, uh, I mean, that's just the power of
0: prayer. Isn't that a great testimony?
1: Isn't that awesome?
0: Thank you, Les. Isn't that great? When we have the prayer teams come down here, and Carol comes down to pray for her husband. At the very moment she was down here praying to the prayer team, he pops out of his chair at home, completely healed. Now, you don't pray like that and believe like that if you don't get preached to like this. Amen. And that's why I'm doing this because I want you healed. I don't want you living with shame and I want you carrying unburdened sorrow, unnecessary sorrow. I, I remember when I, I, when I was a teenager from the ages like 14 to 21, my chest was just completely riddled with, with um, acne, like brutal. My whole back... In my face. I was a wrestler. And I mean, my face would literally be bleeding while I'm wrestling because... I mean, I know it's a gross uh, picture, but pff, try living with it. As a teenager, when I was 21 years old, I started... I heard this message for the first time. I heard what Jesus did for me for the first time. And I started believing it. And I started reading the Word and memorizing Scripture. My faith started rising. And I got a... I, I, I was... But I was, I was really struggling. Here's my point here. We're going to move on to the last point and close up today. I was really struggling with something that many of you probably struggle with. And I want you to cross the line like I did. I didn't know if it was God's will for me to be healed. Because I prayed it didn't happen. Others prayed for me it didn't happen. It must not be God's will. And then you hear somebody preach that it's not God's will to heal everybody. And now you're sunk. You'll identify with Paul, thorn in the flesh. Although he's raising the dead, there was a thorn in the flesh. You gravitate toward that. And I personally don't even believe that was a sickness. I don't have time to teach on that, but... Look at Jesus. Jesus is perfect theology. Jesus brought the kingdom. Jesus said, here's what the kingdom looks like. And He healed them all. So I'm fighting to believe this for me. Because it's really hard when you look in the mirror and you see, you know... What you, what I, you know, Attila the Hun, you know, it's what you feel like when you've got. And and believe in what the Scripture says. This is more real, right? The pain's more real. Going to the doctor and having them take dry ice and put it on my face. That's real. Scripture, that's just words on paper. And I was fighting to believe. And then my doorbell rings, and it's a couple folks that came to bless me with their religion. And somehow, they, we got on this topic of healing's not for today. God doesn't do miracles today. And I was so discouraged, because I was a new believer. I was only like two years old in the Lord. I was so discouraged, they'd completely just sapped all the faith out of me that I was trying to build up. And I sat down on my couch, and I pushed the button on a tape player. I had a preacher on there. And I pushed the button, just to sit there sulking in my unbelief. I guess it's not God's will for me to be healed. And the preachers said, The sower sows the word. And immediately, when the word is sown, Satan comes to steal the word out of your heart. I said, oh, That was saved at my door. He came to steal the word out of my heart that I've been sown in there. That was the day he overplayed his hand. That was the day I drew the line in the sand. And don't do what I'm going to tell you I did. I'm serious because people have done this and they've gotten hurt. I had faith, real faith. I'm even a little nervous about telling you this, but I had real faith explode inside of me. I knew what I knew, what I knew, what I knew. Not that I was healed by his stripes or was going to be healed. I had a revelation I was healed when he died on that cross. And I walked in my bedroom. I was a roommate with my brother. I walked out with all my medication. I said, hey, Brad, look at this. And I threw it in the trash can. Now, mine wasn't life and death. It wasn't diabetes. It wasn't wasn't cancer, that kind of stuff. It was, you know, my skin. But I threw it in the trash can. Then I got a picture of this beautiful woman's skin. Not that I want to be a woman, but her skin was. I'm looking through magazines. I wanted a visual. I put it up on my mirror, and I put, by his stripes, I was healed. And it took about six to nine months of me read, reading the Word and believing God, and my skin completely. Clear. Should I should have. I, my face should look like the moon. I mean, I was. It was. It was one of those kind of skin disorders that was brutal, and I was. I, but that crop of faith that I. Grew through being in the Word and fighting that battle, now has applied to every area of my life. If I need faith for finances, I go to the Bible. Need faith for my kids, I go to the Bible. Need faith for healing, go to the Bible. And I stand until I don't have to stand anymore. Now, what about an important question here? What about when you don't get healed? What do you do then? You believe, you love God. You praise Him and you serve the kingdom of God. until either you get healed or you see Him face to face. That's what you do. Marsha Brown, who's here in the house, has been battling bone cancer for many years now. And she is facilitating a financial peace university in her home. She comes to church and she hates it when she can't get here. She lives in severe pain, and we pray for her and pray for her and pray for her. But she loves God, loves the Word, and is serving the body of Christ in the process. Can I hear an amen? amen. Shelly Cowpersmith, Mark's wife, has been suffering with a chronic sickness for, I don't know, 20 years. And she serves this church in our city more than probably anybody else in our church. What she suffers with is unbearable. I would have quit a long time ago and so would Mark, right? Without a doubt. Probably like the first day. But, she is loving God and serving But Mark, he had a hip issue. He was going to have hip, a hip transplant uh, replacement. And he was in the band helping set up and break down. Never complaining about it. Serving God. Loving God. Leading worship while his hip was killing him. Because that's what you do when you're contending for the kingdom. You don't sit and soak, and sour, and wine. You love God. You praise Him anyway. You serve the kingdom of God until either you get your healing or you see Jesus face to face. Mark got a healing. (laughs) He got a miracle. So that was awesome. My wife, same way. She's had cancer twice. She suffers with the Meniere's disease. And I pray for her every day and I'm going to continue to pray. Jesus, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, prayed for a blind man twice. He didn't pray for him, And then he said, what do you see? He goes, well, now it's, I see, but it's all kind of blurry. I see men like trees. Jesus didn't say, well, I guess it's only God's will for you to be half healed. What did Jesus do? He prayed again. Jesus, who had the spirit without measure, who could raise the dead and did, had to pray for a blind man twice, contending for the kingdom. And finally, he not only died for our spirit and our body, but also our soul, our sorrows. Did you know that Jesus died for your peace? Isaiah 53 5 says he, he, he took he was he, he took the chastisement for our peace. It was upon him. Jesus knows that we need emotional peace. And look what he says about this. I am leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world, a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. The truth is, we don't have peace in God until we have peace with God. Do you know uh, a couple guys gave the life to Christ just recently here at the church? Michael and Denise. A couple of weeks ago, they were down there. I prayed with them. After I prayed with them, I said, what do you feel on the inside? And they both said, relief. There they are, right there. Wave your hand. See these guys right back here? That's right. Come on. Relief. That is the burden of shame and guilt coming out of your soul that only Jesus can do. It's a gift, he says, the world cannot give. Drugs can't do it. Relationships can't do it. Straight A's on tests can't do it. Winning the gold medal can't do it. No achievement, no acquisitions, no accumulation, no accolades can touch that deep part of your soul that only Jesus can touch. He gives peace in our souls so that when you don't get straight A's and you don't get the gold and you and your marriage falls apart and your your child is not serving Jesus and you're suffering with sickness or whatever or you're enduring injustice at work, whatever, where do you find peace when your world is not perfect? That's what that's why some people try to find peace is through perfectionism. That that will actually do just the opposite. It will rob you of your peace. You just need to say, I'm a loser Nobody to impress, nothing to prove. Now I'm just going to do my best and then take a nap. That's my motto in life. I'm just going to do my best and then take a nap. Because Jesus paid for it all. And what Jesus is after is not our success. He's after our faithfulness. That's why, like Marshall, you see Jesus face to face. You know what the Bible says. Look at this. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Everybody say, in me. You see that? In me. That's why, how do you get this? You've got to connect with Christ daily. In the Word, in prayer, in small groups. Find good Christian friends that will pray with you. Encourage your faith. That's where you find your peace, is in Christ. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then finally, in Revelations 21, 4 and 5, we'll close with this. Revelations 21, 4 and 5, Jesus died for our peace. The beating for our peace was upon Him. He can inject peace into you and I on a daily basis. And man, do I go to Him for that. But ultimately, when it's all said and done, we won't need to come to Christ on a daily basis through morning devotions or in the middle of the day when you're driving on the freeway and you just want to kill the person cut off in front of you and your peace is gone or you don't get that the grade you wanted, you didn't win that race you wanted, and you're trying to get that peace. One day, the battle's over. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. And that will be in heaven. Some of you today need to bury your shame That comes with sin by giving it to Jesus. Some of you have blown it so bad you feel disqualified. You feel like at best you're on plan B with God. And He has no plan B. It's always plan A with Him. His mercies are new every morning. Some of you right now feel like you've blown it so bad it can't be repaired. You feel shame and guilt. Jesus is big enough. To take that from you and bear it and carry it away just like you saw Eric do. Will you just pray with me for a moment? If that's you right there where you are. I'm going to ask you to grab a hold of your faith right now in what Jesus did for you on that cross. He not only paid the penalty of that sin you committed, but he took the emotional burden of shame with it. Right now, I'm going to ask you right where you're sitting between you and Jesus. Confess that sin to Him right off your lips. Just tell Him what it is. Just say it. Say, Jesus, you and I both know I did that. And now give it to Him. Say, you take it. And take the shame too. Tell Him that. Say, take the shame. And now speak to the same and say, shame. Speak to shame. Say, shame, shut up in the name of Jesus. You don't own me. Jesus took you. And died so that I don't have to carry you anymore. Some of you need physical healing. And the healing teams are going to be down here to pray for you just like they did for Lance. And we're going to believe for the kingdom to come today right here in our church. And some of you need to connect with Christ on a daily basis. And quit trying to find your peace through your accomplishments. Or through trying to work off your sins and all that. Just come to Jesus daily and, just, and stay till till He connects with you and you realize God's in control. He loves me no matter what. And you'll find the peace of Christ just filling your soul and you live on that peace for good or bad. You just live on the peace of Christ. And some of you have never given your life to Jesus and today is your day of salvation. Today is the day for you to come to Christ and roll the burden of your sin upon Him. Turn your life over to Him. And say, Jesus, I believe You died for my sins. Just like Hermie did yesterday, down here in the apartments." Oh, the peace that I saw in his eyes when we were done praying for him. And he said, this is why You came today and why my family wasn't here today. So I could receive Jesus. If that's you today, I'm going to ask you to meet me right down here in the front of this pony wall right at the bottom of the aisle. And I want to pray with you just like I did with Denise and Michael a couple of weeks ago. And you're going to turn your life over to Jesus. And He's going to forgive you for your sins. You're going to become a child of God instantaneously. And that will never change. And the day you die, you'll see Jesus face to face as He opens the gates of heaven and says, Welcome, my son or my daughter. Can we all stand? I hope this message helped you today. I hope it has helped you to fight your battles against sin, sorrow, and sickness. Stand your ground. And win some battles. Because that's what Jesus died for you to experience. Amen.